Kia ora, welcome to Asian and Aotearoa, a podcast of uncensored conversations with Asian creatives. I'm Jenna, and in this episode, I catch up with Rose Liu. Rose is a writer and software developer living in Pōneke, Wellington, and recently I chaired a panel on anti-Asian racism at the Auckland Writers' Fest, and Rose was on the panel, so while she was in town, we recorded this episode. Rose wrote a book called All Who Live on Islands, so we talk a bit about this, writers' festivals in general, racism, and the novel she's currently trying to work on. Welcome, Rose. Welcome, Gina. <laughs> I don't know why I'm welcoming you. To... No, that works. It's, been a, it's actually been quite a while since I last recorded. Okay. So I'm kind of like forgotten how to do this, but I'm excited to mm-hmm. have you in the room. It's good to do a live podcast recording as well, as opposed to sometimes you're just like doing them on like a call. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go on. Oh, God. I'm Rose. I am 33 years old. I normally live in Pōneke. I'm currently in Wellington because I've just come from an entire offsite, entire company offsite in Cairns. <laughs> and I haven't seen my family who live on the North Shore since February. I am a writer and a software developer. And um, I published a collection of essays about a contemporary experience of migration in Aotearoa in 2019. And since then, I've been trying to write a novel. Uh, and I did a residency where I wrote 70,000 words, which is not the same as writing a novel. <laughs> uh, the novel was still in progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, just been trying to find a balance between doing creative work and paid work since I started writing. Do you identify as Chinese? Yeah, I definitely identify as being Chinese. Um, I think I think when I was younger, I like did not because I was just like, no, I'm a New Zealander. But something that I experienced when, so I went and I spent about four months in China in 2016. And it was the first time I went to China as like an adult and also without my parents. And something like, very like nice that happened to me there and I know that this doesn't happen for like all or even like many Chinese New Zealanders but um because I've always had fairly good Mandarin like I was just able to really slip into Chinese society and they like they knew that I was like an outsider because obviously like I didn't know there was like a lot of cultural references I wouldn't get but my like level of language was like quite okay in a day-to-day sense that I was having these like relationships that were entirely in Mandarin and I was being treated as a Chinese person in China which is a very like complicated thing because some aspects of that is great and some aspects of that is terrible um but I guess it's like I think it's also how like white immigrants to New Zealand they kind of just get treated quite differently to non-white immigrants Mm. to New Zealand. So it was like very interesting to experience that in China, to be like, I know I'm a bit different. People know I'm a bit different, but I'm still granted, um, I'm just granted so so much like space because I look the same. And that was just something that I had not experienced before. And I was just like, oh, I am just Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) And the Chinese yeah. people would always be like, you're Chinese. And I'm like, okay, wow. like I'm not going to argue with you. Um, 
and like I said, like it's complicated because I think Chinese people are very, they can be very patriotic about being Chinese and that comes with this like level of like nationalism and this like lack of criticality about their country and their government, which is like obviously as someone who's like brought up outside of China, you, you, you there's kind of like a tension to that sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, but it was very nice to just like go in, slip in and like, this like a very common interaction I would always have is that I'll start talking to someone in Mandarin and they they clock that it wasn't possibly my like native language but they'd always be like are you Taiwanese are you Singaporean are you from Hong Kong like they would just reach for any other Asian country to explain my like accent rather than the fact that I was raised in a western country and it was just so interesting to sort of experience that rather than in New Zealand people were just like oh yeah you're not from here and I'm like well I am (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. so it's been a long journey to be like oh yeah I'm Chinese now whenever people are like you're Chinese I just don't care anymore I'm Mm. just like yeah 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 that was a really long answer (laughs) (laughs) no that's great it's great and it really relate the points that you've raised really relate to what we'll be doing next weekend oh yeah you're on the panel that I'm cheering next week at the Auckland Writers Festival. Mm-hmm. It's a very intimidating panel. Okay, but um, hello, I'm glad I'm not the only one. How did you feel when Chris invited you? Um, uh, when I got the email about the panel, I was just like, whoa, I'm really like, they're really phoning in the like person on the street for their opinion about this. I so don't think that's the case. <laughs> Because I've read your Wikipedia, excuse oh me, um, multiple qualifications, yep. master's degree in creative writing, like yep. mechatronics, engineering, hello. Yeah, I know, but everyone else is like uh, political journalists, like PhDs, PhDs coming up there, eyeballs. race relations, <laughs> like the race relations minister. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, there's like, yeah, I think there's a difference between just like... Me just being like, oh, yeah, I'll just write about some stuff that's happened and, like, people who've, like, like studied, um, like, be studied and versed in kind of the sort of, like, systemic, mm. like, political and cultural sort of forces that have sort of created, mm. I guess, the everyday experience of Chinese and Asian people in New Zealand. Yeah. How are you feeling about it now? Um, I think that the every, I mean, I do think that the everyday perspective is still valuable. And I think that even if you don't have a, like a rigorous, like academic background in like knowing why some of these things have happened, like you're still, they still happen to you and you're still aware of it. Yeah. Just like, I think, you know, like living in Wellington, which, um, as you have experienced firsthand is way less Asian presence in Wellington than Mm. in Auckland. Um, my like most educated and liberal white friends, even though they like know so much about politics and they've like read all the things and like on some ways I think on paper they're like much more educated about this sort of stuff than I am, but they just like cannot really relate to what a day-to-day experience of being othered feels like. Mm. So there's still this like massive gap between what they understand understand and what they can feel and so like I think something that happens to me fairly often is that I have a very diverse friend group in Wellington because 
I'm like very intentional because I know it can be quite a Pākehā city. So like I'm very intentional about like I need people who look like me around me. But often if I go to a party hosted by one of my white friends, I'm just like, oh, like I'm one of your only non-white friends. Mm. Whereas I have heaps of non-white friends. And so like sometimes that sort of, um, there's that dissonance between that like intellectual understanding of something but and having that lived experience yeah i am intimidated to the point where i'm procrastinating a lot <gasps> really for like the the prep because i'm like oh my god so we'll see i'm mm. sure it'll be fine i think it will be fine and i think that um Sorry, I didn't reply to the emails as well. I've what Tim, e- there was like Timming sent like a really long email. Ah, oh. which I really like. I agree <laughs> with all her points, and she is like so smart. Yeah, um, you don't have I, you didn't have to reply to that. <laughs> okay, like, good. I didn't. There was no. You did not have to reply to that at all. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. and I think that's. I mean, Louisa sent a thing, and then so you. How do you say her name? Timming. Before and then she wrote this email, and I read that and I was like, oh. Fuck. Yeah, she's going deep. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, raise some awesome points. I'm, I'm glad that she's going to raise them. But I yeah. was like, oh, Jesus. You know, and I just have this podcast that I made up. Um, and we talk about vibes and things like that. <laughs> and it's, like, it's so- important to talk about vibes because I think... <laughs> And that's the thing is, right, like you don't, sometimes you can like have the tools around you to sort of like be able to link your vibe to some sort of like greater sort of like political or social machination. But like, it doesn't mean that the vibe isn't like, doesn't, it doesn't have worth if you can't tie it back to that because you know that that greater stuff happens Mm. in the background. And like, sometimes the reason you can't access to that is you just haven't read the like fucking theory on it. But it doesn't mean that like you can't identify the vibe and it's kind of like the vibe is sort of what the tangible effects of that are right mm. so like i think vibe is important okay, <laughs> okay personally <good. laughs> we're here for the vibes we, uh, yeah i think it's good to have vibes it's good yeah. to feel the vibes it's yeah good to talk about the yeah. vibes yeah so i mean i am excited as well but yeah shit no it's gonna be good this is, can you hear really like good. I'm saying I'm just like keep repeating it to you're myself. Just trying to, like, I'm just trying to, I'm just like, trying to convince myself. Like, I love I love public speaking. <laughs> um and it's such a granty topic. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting. And like so I have really mixed feelings about the format of writers' festivals in general. Mm-hmm. Because so before I started writing, which like literally was in 2018, like I had no idea that there was this entire. Did you only start writing in 2018? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's fucking crazy. I know it's kind of weird. Eh? Oh my god! I love your writing, by the way. Thanks. I think you're a phenomenal writer. Thanks. What the fuck? Okay, sorry, tangent. Yep, carry on. Yeah, so I only started writing in 2018, um, and I didn't know that there was this whole like world of writing and publishing in New Zealand because there's like I think it's hugely classist because mm-hmm. I grew up in yep. Wanganui. And, like, there are writers there. Like, there definitely are. But, like, if you just go to school there, you're not going to get exposed to that. And then I went to Christchurch where I was, like, in in engineering school. And so it wasn't until I moved to Wellington 
where I was just like, oh, okay, there's like all these people in the arts and like being in the arts in Wellington or I think in New Zealand in general, like comes with a lot of like cultural capital. And that was something that was like entirely invisible to me until I got involved in the Uh. writing world. So like I had never heard of writers festivals, even though like when I was in Christchurch, like they, it would have been on, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it, it's it, that word festivals existed for like long enough that yeah. like I could have heard about it. But like, I was just like, why was all of that invisible to me? So I, and so the first time I ever went to a writer's festival was when I did my MA in 2018 and it was compulsory. They were like, the writer's festival's on this year. And I was just like, oh, what's that? And they were like, as mandatory classwork, we want you to go to five sessions. And so I had never gone to one before until I was like made to. And then I get there and I'm just like, oh, it's like, it's all like older middle class white people. Mm. And so like that is the audience of a writer's festival. Mm. Um, And even in a place like Auckland, which is way more diverse, that's still the people who show up, even though it's not the majority of the population. Yeah. I always feel mixed about them because I don't know. I feel like these sorts of discussions discussions like I feel like you could pick many non-white people off the street in Auckland and people would have similar vibes yeah. <laughs> I see what you're doing there you know yeah. like, I think people would have the similar vibes um but they're not necessarily put in a space where they're like having those vibes publicly mm. for a majority white audience yeah do you reckon the audience is going to be majority white I've never um being part of Auckland Writers Festival live like I did a lockdown session for them um but I have heard that the audience is majority white I would love for it to be different yeah and I think that because the um panel is like all Asian people I feel like there will probably be more Asian people in the audience yeah but I still don't think it would be the majority I would hope that it's the majority yeah but I'm like I don't know. I would like to be pleasantly surprised. Yes, me too. Yeah. Same. Um, but I do think it's incredible to have that um, all Asian panel because it just means like like we were saying before about Timing's email, which went really hard. Like there is just like a baseline understanding that I think everyone will have. So I think the conversation will be much richer yeah. because of that. Like no, I think no one's going to have to like dumb down what they're saying basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I loved your book, All Who Live on Islands. Oh, thanks. Has your mum or your brother read it? They have both read it. And my dad. Oh, really? Yep. Thoughts? Um, Feedback? Feedback. My brother doesn't say much, but I sent him the essay about him before it was published. And he was a bit like, oh, yeah. He, like, really just didn't say much about it. Um He's younger, isn't he? He's younger. He is nine and a half years younger than me. But then after it was published, he like told all his friends to buy it. And I was just like, oh, you wouldn't say that if you didn't like what was written about you. That's nice. (laughs) That's really sweet. Yeah, it is really sweet. Um, And my mom was like, because I wrote in that book a lot about what sort of was going on for me between kind of like 13 and 17, like high school. Um, and high school was a time where I think high school is challenging for a lot of people. Mm. And also for my family, we had just 
moved to Wanganui and they had just sort of started running a business. So it was really busy. So they were quite absent in that period of my life just because they they were like working like 70 hour weeks. Mm. And so after my mum read my book, she was just like, it was really nice to know what was going on for you at that time because we just didn't have the time to because it's that sort of thing of like you have to meet the basic needs of like food yeah. shelter and all that before you can kind of start thinking about other things and like so I think they were just really prioritizing kind of meeting the material needs of the family because that was kind of the situation we were in at that time um, and so like there was a lot of stuff that was going on for me as a teenager that my parents just had no idea about yeah mm-hmm. and it was nice to hear that my mum yeah like she, she, I think she sort of, she was aware that they were working a lot during that time, which was something I didn't really know they were conscious of when I was a teenager because I was just a bit like, oh, they're always too busy. But, but also when you're a teenager, you don't really want to hang out with your parents anyways. Mm. But I did feel a bit like they were, like they were a bit absent just because they were busy all the time. So it was nice to sort of hear from my mum how much she enjoyed finding out what that period of my life was like. Yeah. For me, I remember when you were, I think it was like the first book that I'd read and felt like I could see my grandparents and your grandparents. Mm. I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, who is this author? <laughs> She's amazing. Oh God. You must get that a lot. Um, I think it's particularly the grandparents actually that does like resonate with a lot of people because um, I don't know, like where are your grandparents from? Malaysia. They're from Malaysia. Yeah. And so they speak... Hokkien. Hokkien, and do you yeah. speak Hokkien? No. Okay. Um, and they live lived with you in New Zealand. No, no, no. So, the, uh, so they stayed in Malaysia. Mm. I was born here. Yeah. But it's more like when I'd go over there, just how you're describing what they were like. Mm. Mm. Old Asian parents. Yeah. Grandparents. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is something like that. I think that bond is really special yeah. as well. Yeah, like I, I think for me, having my grandparents like live with us, like there was such a part of the family yeah. and that like intergenerational sort of living is like not as common mm. in like Pākehā culture. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people have been like, oh, my grandparents. And that kind of like that struggle to like, you love them, but you can't communicate with them. Yeah. And totally. Like, I mean, the number of words that I probably have said to my grandparents, would have said to my grandparents, mm. um, but there is such that bond there. So yeah. they both, they died, I think like a year apart, 2017, 20, 2018, mm. back in Malaysia. And I remember Dad said that on their gravestones, mm. it's in English because really? they knew that for their grand their grandchildren, oh it was important for them because they knew that their descendants would be English speaking most likely. Well, so, that's so intense. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's so intense. They'd be like, oh, yeah, we want to be remembered. Yeah. And the only way that would work is if we do it in English. Yeah. Whoa. I know. Mm. Did you spend six months riding in a cottage in Thornton? Yeah, I did. It sounds really romantic. It's but then, not. then I don't know what Thornton is like. Oh, so my you God. Didn't. <laughs> what, was that? Actually, what was that like? Yeah, so I spent six months in a cottage in Thornton. Um, so Thornton is... Like where Old Bunny lives in Wellington. Oh. So it was like one of the first places that was settled in Wellington. 
And it's like, you know, like the Catherine Mansfield house is there and like a bunch of historical houses are in that area. Yeah, so they have this writing residency there, which is administered by the Randall Cottage Trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Randalls are like, I think it's quite cool, but like the Randalls are just normal people. Like they weren't like, they were not of note in their time. They were just like a normal, like, English family who had like come to New Zealand from England and I think it was like what were their names it might be Henry and Harriet or something like that they lived there with their 12 children which is insane because it's like a two-bedroom house but you know he like built the house from from scratch like with his own hands and I guess he would have had to like mill his own timber or something oh my god because it was like you know the olden times yeah Yeah, but I like that it was yeah they were just normal people and then uh some of their descendants um like Beverly Randall is like a children's book author and her and some of her siblings saw the house go up for sale um and they knew that their family had that history connected with it so they purchased that house and turned it into this residency um and so it's supposed to be six months a year a New Zealand writer and six months a year a French writer because um New Zealand also has a a residency in France called the Monton residency um and so like the Randall residency is kind of like the the reciprocal version of that. So a French writer can come here because we get to send a New Zealand writer to France. Mm-hmm. And so the schedule was a bit disrupted because of COVID. But then, yeah, I took up residence in the winter of 2022. And I tried to write a novel. Um, novels are very hard and very long. Like, I think all writing is difficult like I think it's an inherently difficult task but just the like the sheer volume of words Mm. you have to produce (laughs) in a novel like a typical novel is like 80,000 words that's probably a 350 to 400 page novel yeah so it's really like it's a marathon it's not a sprint so Mm. like I was just trying to like turn up at the desk every day and like write at least something but yeah some days were much harder than others before going into the residency so I've got no idea how residencies work Mm. did you already have an idea did you have to like pitch I want to write this thing I've got this idea okay yeah yeah so it was an open call for applications Mm -hmm. um and I submitted like a project outline and like a writing sample of the project Mm -hmm. and so like I vaguely had an idea about what I wanted to do um and I would say during the residency kind of like I think what I did manage to do was I think I understood what my characters were like um because you kind of have to like invent a whole person's life Mm -hmm. um and then once you've done that that's when the story starts yeah so like there's there's so much like background work that goes into a novel that is quite invisible so I feel like and that's what I mean by I wrote 70,000 words, but I don't think I wrote a novel. Right. So I feel like possibly half of that needs to be, like, chucked out. Right. What's it, <laughs> can you talk about what it's about or, like, what um, the gist, any, anything? Ooh, you don't have to. The gist of it is I think I wanted to write 
So when I went into it, I kind of wanted to write a story about two climbers because um, talking about Asian representation, uh-huh. like, <laughs> Asians are very underrepresented in sport. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I feel like um, I just kind of thought it'd be funny to like write a story about Chinese New Zealanders that involved sport love this yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> because i just like we're not known for being sporty yeah like there's a couple of like um stereotypical Lydia sports yeah 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 there's a couple of stereotypical <laughs> sports associated with asians yeah. yeah um but like by and large like we're known as nerds yeah. rather than jocks yeah but like sport is such a key part of new zealand culture mm. and so many people like grow up playing sport whether you like it or not yeah and I remember hating sport when I was in high school and primary school <laughs> yeah so it's been weird to like become an adult and being like you know what I do like sports I just never liked the sort of sports I had to do during school so that was kind of like my thing was I was just like oh yeah what what kind of story could I write about some like sporty Chinese people in New Zealand? Um, and I was doing a lot of climbing at the time, like rock climbing. So I kind of like wanted to set it um, in the context of people who were going to the climbing gym and like climbing outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, yeah, I think it is a love story. Um I am a very prolific reader of romance. Really? Ooh. Okay. We should discuss. So, yeah. I'm loving the sound of this. Yeah. Love story between two <laughs> climbers. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of the general sort of. Um, love on the rocks. Okay. Love on the rocks. Yeah. Love on the rocks. Uh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, because they are both Chinese, mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be like, yeah, aspects of identity that sort of oh, that's come cool. up. Because usually yeah. it's always like, it's an interracial that's like the, Oh, you know, interracial relationships the, like, are overrepresented, right? There is a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't want to write that. Yeah. I wanted to write about two Chinese people who had come to New Zealand in different times. Cool. And so yeah. you're working on this kind of, or you're balanced. Oh, you said you're kind of balanced. Uh, yeah. It's like, like, it's like okay. percolating. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I think that the time I did on the residency was okay. Um, but I've like thought about it a lot since, but I think, um, I haven't actually written anything towards it mm-hmm. since I stopped doing mm-hmm. the residency. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think another thing is like I th- okay I thought I could vibe out a novel. Turns out you cannot vibe out a novel, <laughs> or it's very hard to vibe out a novel. No, no, no. Let me say that again. I think that you can't vibe out a good novel. Mm. So like I think I spent six months kind of like vibing and just mm. being like, what's going to happen, or just see what happens next, or what what random idea have I got today? And I think I did enough of that to be like, okay, I think I need to sort of actually have a bit of a plan for the plot and what I want to happen. Um, and so I think in that six months, I reached what I could do just on vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a lesson of vibes. It was a lesson of vibes. I'm just like, cool vibes get you to a certain okay. point. And, but I think now I'm like, I need a bit of structure and plot and planning but yeah. I had done enough vibing to sort of know what things would feed into that Got rather it. than like working from nothing mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whereas I think it was important to vibe when I had like nothing on the page yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
How do you feel about fan fiction? I love fan fiction. I grew up with fan fiction. I spent all of my teenage years reading fan fiction. Oh, because I had no friends <laughs> in Wanganui, so I was on fanfiction.net quite uh, yes, a lot. Uh, me too. Yeah. Um, which fandom? I was in the Harry Potter fandom. Um, uh-huh. I was really into the gay Harry Potter <laughs> fandom. I was into that. Harry Draco and really? the snake Harry. Really? Yeah. And sometimes the Draco Hermione. <laughs> Hermione. <laughs> Have you read Manacled? No, what's that? Okay. You need to read Manacled. Okay. okay. So it's, I think, I don't know when it was written. Recent years. Okay. So, and this is like 20 years after people were like reading Harry Potter, the OG stuff. Mm. Um, it is really dark. It's Germione, but the mm. story, it's kind of, so it's like Harry Potter universe and Handmaid's Tale. Oh my God. Okay. It's really dark, but yeah. it's kind of at the moment in the Germione fandom, it's known as like one of the best, the mm. best fanfics. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Have you written any? I wrote a little bit of fanfiction when I was, yeah, 15, but um, I think I, d- writing takes a lot of discipline. Yeah. You just have to kind of like show up and do it. And it's a lot of like sitting down. It's a lot of like staying inside. And I was like always not that great, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I like to be – well, I, well in high school I was just like out getting drunk. Cause <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was hard to be like, oh, I'll just stay inside on my computer all the time. And it's still like a struggle I have to this day is that like my preference is to be out doing stuff, mm. which is at odds – with the writerly lifestyle of like <laughs> being alone in a room with your thoughts and putting them down. Like yeah. I find that aspect of writing like really difficult because most writers are introverts. Mm. Yeah. I am <laughs> not an <laughs> not, introvert. No, <laughs> yeah. no, that's so funny. I guess the readerly lifestyle, cause I will go, I will read a 350 page book a night. What? <laughs> I will, I will speed. I will go, I will devour, <laughs> yeah. But this is like romance stuff. So when okay. I but when I get me with a like a non-fictiony big brain thing and it that, that, that slows you right down, right down. Oh yeah, I'm currently reading How to Read Now by Elaine Castillo, and she is so big brained. I have to like keep stopping. <laughs> to like Google what words mean. Cause they'll be like, I'm like, oh fuck. I've, I know I've, I've seen this word before. I know how it's pronounced. I've encountered it before, but I could, could not tell you specifically what it, what it means. Like I have a, like a vague sense of what the word mm. means, but I don't have a specific sense of what the word means. So I've just had to like, be like, damn, she's really <laughs> smart. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a very, like, it's like a quite academic and dense non-fiction book which is kind of like a uh a critical like treatise about how we read and engage with media oh it's really fascinating yeah yeah um and one of the central ideas in her book which i think is like the best framing of this that i've ever heard is she says that often there's this argument that says racism is steeped in ignorance and like if only someone had told me x y and z then i wouldn't have treated this other culture so badly but she doesn't think that's true at all because actually instead of it coming from a place of ignorance we're all 
over-educated in white supremacy and everything that we read and we consume and we listen to like prefaces this idea that white narratives and white lives are more important because you shouldn't need something to tell you to like treat other human beings with a basic level of respect yeah yeah I get it. Which is so good. And yes. Like such a great framing of that. And just, I feel, yeah, it's like a really good critical book about like books and the publishing industry as well. Because I think she also sort of had that same experience of like, oh, you get published and suddenly you're at these writers festivals and everyone is white and like people are patting themselves on the back for like having gone to the session with a non-white person and just being like, oh, like reading builds empathy. And because I read this book, I'm actually really empathetic. But like the thing is like, you can read a book, but not actually read it. Mm. And same with like, you can show up to these events and sort of like feel like you've learned something, but not really actually done the work within yourself to like reflect and engage with the ideas. And just because you are in a certain cultural class where you will show up to a writer's festival and you can, have the time and the means to afford to attend this event it doesn't mean that you're actually any better yeah at understanding or dealing with those issues yeah mm. are you gonna say that on sunday like oh do you think i should <laughs> i don't know i don't know because, <laughs> because when chris and i were talking about what would be great to get out of it yeah it's a big it's a, i know that it's a big okay, big ask yeah for some people yeah oh i love to say shit so and i think that like i i mean i don't know louisa or ming foon but like i know that timming and i are like a lot like on the same page about this sort of stuff yeah Um, yeah and yeah and i think especially like i find like racism a lot easier to bear when it comes from people who have just like like, again, like, to go back to Wanganui again, it's just, like, Wanganui's so racist. It's, like, 33% Māori. So, like, but, you know, had a, often has a Pākehā mayor, And so, like, there's that racial tension. And then when I was there, there was, like, not that many Chinese people. But now it's um become one of the major cities in which they place refugees. So it has gotten, like, much more diverse in the last, sort of, like, five years. So, like, there is a lot of diversity there but it is still just like a small town and it comes with a lot of those like stereotypes but I find that type of very like in your face kind of like people just saying dumb shit to you on the street like I find that way more bearable than some like quite educated white person who thinks that they're on your side Mm. who like kind of they've like they've been in those circles where they know how to say the right things but they probably don't have any non-white yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm like, what good is an all-white friend group that talks about racism when there's no non-white person in that friend group? You know? And so that's what I mean is just like I think even though that everyday street racism is like much more confronting yeah. and can also be dangerous sometimes, like the bits of racism I'm more likely to experience is from people who are well-meaning Mm. Um, and it's so much harder to tell those people mm. what they're doing wrong because I think they want to believe that they're not yeah, because they're, like, educated. Yeah. Whereas I'm just like, actually, the 
non-educated people. I'm not. I'm quotes. doing the quite much. I'm yeah, doing yeah. the air quotes right now. The yeah. the non-educated people that you try and separate yourself from, I think, are actually like being a bit more honest mm. because they don't have that filter of like, oh, I've like read this book and I talk in this particular way. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Oh my god. Yeah, I am super curious about who's going to show up in this event, what it's going to be like. I've heard so well, many mixed things about Auckland Writers Festival. Well, all my family's going to be there. <laughs> so. Yay! I told my mum to come. Yes! Okay, please! Yeah. Yeah, my parents are coming, my auntie's coming. Oh, yeah. What have, tell, what have you heard? I've just heard that... Okay, so the main thing is, I think... I think writers' festival events do not need question time. We're not having question time. Great. I'm so glad there's no question time. We're not having one. Great. Because I just know that someone insane will absolutely stand up and have not a question but a comment, and then the comment will just be something racist. Yeah. I've just seen that happen so many yeah. times at the, these types of events. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So my <laughs> one time at a writers' festival, I was on, like, one of these types of panels. And then afterwards, this, like – white guy like comes up to me it was just like why are you so critical about Pākehā well he didn't use the word Pākehā he said why are you so critical about like European culture when you're wearing European clothes no I was just like what am I supposed to be wearing like a chong sam like (laughs) (laughs) like, you don't own t-shirts my yeah and then like he was like oh and you're obviously eating some western food but Funnily enough, like, because I had, um, because the session was over lunch, so, like, um, someone had gotten me food to eat straight afterwards. And I was actually like, oh, no, this is actually like a curry. <laughs> this was cooked by a Nepalese person at the market. So it's not actually, <laughs> that's not actually white food. <laughs> but that was kind of his point. Was He was just like, how dare you be so critical of, like, this country and these customs when you obviously have adopted some of them. But I was just like, God, the, like, specific examples he was pointing to were just quite ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, no. And so this was a – how old would have this person be? Um, like late 40s. Yikes. Yeah. People got really upset. And, like, yeah, I think also – What was the panel What was the panel about? Like, it was just was like the... a diversity okay, sort okay, of, like, okay. panel. I thought that it was – the panelists were really cool. Yeah. Um, and really interesting. And there was definitely a couple that I really vibed with during the panel. And I thought that the chair also did a pretty good job. Um, but I just think that the, the the framing of it and the event itself and, like, the people who turned out just meant that it was not going to be Oof. successful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Got it. But I'm always really surprised by how, like, confronting those experiences can be. Because I guess, like, as someone who is, like, quite good at English, like, my social circles are full of white liberals and mm. non-white liberals um like my day-to-day life other than like the occasional random passerby yelling mm. which like I don't really experience very much overt racism and the times that I've actually experienced the most overt racism has been at writers festivals oh god <laughs> where I've like talked about race um, and it's not to your okay. home audience where you sort of like know what your friends sort of think about things mm. but then because they are sort of open to the public like sometimes people just show up and they have a problem with what you're saying mm. 
And they feel really comfortable airing it because I guess they come from a particular like social background where they think that they're right and that their opinions are good and you're allowed to just, they have that confidence just mm, to be like, oh yeah, I can just go and tell this person off. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I'm feeling really great about something. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm feeling really good. I'm going to read a quote that I loved from your piece about rock climbing that was on the spinoff. Oh my God. Okay. Being able to cultivate an adult hobby is a precious experience. They are the new substitute for dogs, the previous generation's substitute for children, unavailable to this generation of renters. They are a source of meaning, a way of keeping the everyday from feeling mundane, an avenue of insight into yourself and the people around you. So what's your advice to someone who doesn't have any hobbies? You don't have any hobbies? I don't know. No, I do. That. Oh, just, okay. <laughs> No, 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 not me. Yeah. <laughs> Advice to someone who doesn't have hobbies. There are people out there. I used to be someone that didn't. I think, well, my definition of hobby is quite broad. Like, I'm like, what oh, you, you like reading? That's a hobby. You like cooking? That's a hobby. Yeah. Uh, I think watching TV can also be a hobby as long as you're, like, critically engaged with it. Like, I think most things that you do that aren't work are basically a hobby. Like, unless you, like, go home and you stare at the wall for eight hours and wait till you're... <laughs> Until the workday starts again. Um, Apart from par- parents, sometimes it's hard for them to cultivate hobbies. Because <laughs> they're busy. I reckon, I mean, I used to be someone with not uh, without a hobby. Or people would be like, so what do you like, so what do you like doing? Mm. And I, outside of work, this is when I was mm. all about career ladder climbing. And I didn't really, I didn't know how to answer the question. I think there are people, like, I'm assuming that there are other people like that. No, you're right. Actually, I think there are lots of people where um, they just put a lot of energy into work. Yeah. Which I feel like if you have a corporate job, I'm like, your company does not love you. Mm. And you need to realize that at some point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do come to that realization. I mean, you did. I did. That's true. <laughs> but what about the people that haven't yet? Hmm. Yeah, that's hard. I think sometimes, I think that's the thing about like being in a society where things right now are so expensive. Fuck yes, yeah. Like I can totally see how you are in a position where you have so little free time that you're not laboring because people have to do so much labor to afford to live. Mm. And I think that having that breathing space in your life where you can kind of take that step back and just be like oh why am I working so much is this actually bringing me any joy like you have to be there's a certain amount of privilege just like associated with Mm. that but I also do think that even with people who like work a lot like I think there's always you can always try and like carve out that type of like interior space Mm. for yourself like going to the bathroom like going to the bathroom taking a long bathroom break is like a it's like a fundamental human right. Like, you what's need... like the time theft? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you need to be like doing some like mega long shits in whatever job you're in. Eh? Like, yeah, like those, like all those like articles about like Amazon workers who are like forced to pee in the bottle because they don't get toilet breaks. Like, that's so fucked Fuck. up. Oh yeah, I, I hadn't heard that, but it doesn't surprise me. Fuck. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard to create that sort of space and interiority. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like I hope that people manage to because you're worth more than that. Um, how did it come about? Okay, now we're going back to the beginning. How mm. did it come about your book and that you're going to write something? 
Well, I think in 2016, I took like, like six to eight months off um, to travel. And for me, I was like really thinking about identity quite a lot during that time. And I was reading like a lot of like books and like articles about it. And I was just like, oh, there's like nothing from New Zealand. Like there were just no like New Zealand writers writing about sort of like being a young person in New Zealand. Like there was kind of like stuff about, like it's, I think it's important to engage with history. And so like I think a really important text in sort of like Asian New Zealand sort of history is um, Old Asian, New Asian by Emma Ng. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's such a good primer for like, oh, that's why it's like this right now. Yeah. But again, there was like, that is kind of like the most significant work of prose that I could really find. And yeah, there's like stuff about market gardeners. There's stuff about the um, gold rush immigrants. But like as a proportion, most Asian immigrants to New Zealand came after 1990. Mm. And I was like, why is there nothing about what that was like? Mm. And then I was just like, well, I'm about as qualified as anyone else to do this. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a bit of just... Like, and because I had had a few friends who had gone to the IML, they were like, yeah, you should write. What is the IML? Oh, the IML is the International Institute of Modern Letters. Okay. Which is a very wanky name. I didn't even know for ages that, like, people refer to writing as letters. No, you're, I just you're, you're teaching me again. here. I'm like, okay. I know. There's, like, again, like, this is, like, a class thing, right? Uh-huh. Like, if you had parents who knew that, you'd be like, oh, when... People talk about letters, they mean people who are engaged in writing. Oh. I know. Yeah. Whoa, okay. But it's like all this like random shit like that, right? Okay. Like I'm like, I didn't grow up reading like, I don't know, Pride and Prejudice <laughs> or whatever. Like, yeah, so a bunch of my friends had gone to the IIML and when I was traveling by myself, I was like writing very long emails back home because I don't know why I didn't do a blog. <laughs> I guess the year was 2016. Could have done a blog, but I was just writing emails. Yeah. And a few of them who had gone to the IML was just like, have you thought about writing? Like, you're quite good at this. Maybe you should do it. And I was just like, oh, like I'd never considered it before. Um, And I didn't know that creative writing schools existed because there's only really a couple around New Zealand. And so... I was just like, well, okay, sounds like I'm about as qualified as anyone else to write about the Chinese New Zealand experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then how did you get published? Yeah, so the um, IIML, because it's part of um, Victoria University, oh no, it's called like Tehenga Waka University, um, has a very close relationship with that university press. Um, okay. So much so that um, every manuscript that goes through the IML is graded by that publisher oh okay so like you when you go through the iml you kind of get two grades like one of them is kind of like how i guess it's more about the like work as it stands and its creative merit but then another score is how publishable is it is and so like something being good in the creative sense is not the same as it being publishable because there's all these things about like well a book needs to fit into a certain category to be marketed so there could be books that are like extremely good but would be very hard to publish um and and so like the that creative writing school yeah everyone kind of receives like a publishing grade and also that publisher has read everything that comes out of that 
And so basically, if they like your work, they will just be like, so do you want to just publish this with us or? <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so like a lot of people, there's a very like IML to Te Heringa Waka University okay. Press Pipeline okay. sort of thing, which is I see, good and I see. bad. Yeah. Okay. How spiritual would you say you are? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think I've grown more spiritual as I've gotten older because I think, like, I feel like I was a real STEM kid, like, because I went to engineering school. Um, and, you know, engineers, they, like, think they're really rational, you know? They think that things are logical. They think that people should behave rationally and not emotionally which is like such a bullshit sort of idea Mm. um but because it was the environment I was in and I was just doing a lot of like physics and maths papers like I think my worldview was like a little bit more like rigid Mm. in that sense Mm. but I guess the further away I get from that the more I'm like I think it's better and more enjoyable to live life with this sense of wonder rather than being like well actually a rainbow is just when water <laughs> is diffracted through light you know like you know it's, yeah, it's like yeah. so i'm like i get it there are lots of like scientific mm. explanations for things but it's like i would prefer to be charmed me too by the world and i would prefer and i think actually the things that are the most like important and the most important experiences in your life are always so intensely emotional you know like I'm not gonna get to the end of my life and be like oh yeah I really solved some great computer science problems I don't think I I'm not gonna be the part type of person who thinks that I'll just Mm. be like oh I had some really meaningful relationships and I think that there is a level of intimately engaging with another person that is so spiritual because people are such like imperfect narrators of their own life and I think you can like know people better like as you spend more time with them but I still just think that like people are so like different every day and they change all the time and like have different emotions and like there's so much that goes on inside that's like not visible to the surface even if you know them for a long time or just like even even if I think about my own relationship with my parents who are like the people I've known the longest in my life like that's changed so much and like it's like such a mystery how all of that sort of happens and that feels really spiritual and you know there's the Chinese concept of like Yuan Fin do you know about no. it it's kind of like fate but like I feel like Chinese culture is sometimes a bit more like naturally a bit more spiritual than Western culture Mm. where I think Western culture has like this specific space for spirituality and people either engage in it or they don't but Mm. I think spirituality is actually a bit more like integrated in Chinese culture like when my um granddad died in 2022 I was so surprised at like how much my parents were like we need to know what the rituals are. Mm. We need to follow them. Yeah. Um, and they're not very, I wouldn't think of them as very spiritual people. Um, but suddenly these sort of like rites and rituals were like of such importance to them. And also like when things go right or wrong, sometimes they'll just be like, oh, that was just you and Finn. And there was this 
Yeah, there's <sighs> and like they are people who are I would say are also quite like quote unquote rational. Like they're both they're both engineers. Yeah. And I think they generally like aren't very like superstitious or religious, but there is this sort of like spiritual element to how they engage with everyday life and how they want to move through it. Like my dad really believes that like you're like a different person every seven years and there'll mm. always be like an inflection point where you can make yes. a decision. Love. Awesome. Yeah. Great answer. Are you spiritual? Yeah. Great. <laughs> I think it's fun. I think it's fun too. I'd way rather choose to be in that space of awe and magic and yeah. mystery than fucking serious black and white linear stuff. I know. That's just the, yeah. It's just not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. It's yeah. just like, why would you not choose joy? Mm. And not that, like, I don't think spirituality is frivolous because I think that some of the stuff in there is, like, a very good framework for understanding yourself and how you relate to the world. And I think that is really important as much as, like, how the world works in a very scientific or practical sense. Yeah. Yeah. Finish these sentences. This is the end. Oh, okay. Okay. Unless there's anything else that we've missed that you want to talk about. No. No, She's shaking her head. Okay. I'm feeling inspired by my writing community especially the ones that I'm going to DC with um, later this year and feeling inspired specifically by our first openly queer Asian poet laureate Christie's who I'm like wow I'm just friends with this guy (laughs) we love Chris yeah I'm really looking forward to going to Europe to go on a little climbing trip later this year Whereabouts? Um, oh God, I I don't know how. I think the place is called Chamonix, <laughs> but I've never been to Europe. Haven't you? No. Oh my God. I've only ever been to Asia lots. Whereabouts in Europe are you going? France, the uh-huh. French Alps. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it's called Chamonix, but it's like, I don't really Who knows? know. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing my best. Oh yeah. my God, that's so exciting. Mm. I'd love to be known for. Being a good friend. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rose, for coming in, having a chat. Thanks, Jenna. That was fun. It's been really nice. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and follow the show. Exciting stuff is in the works, so follow Asian and Aotearoa on Instagram for updates.